Today's guests on the podcast, it's a real honor and a privilege for me to have. This is maybe the peak of my professional podcasting career. This is the top. This is the zenith. This is the acme. This is the apotheosis. This is a tremendous honor and a privilege and a pleasure to have my dear brother, my oldest brother, Rabbi Eliezer Eli Wolby, and his wife, Mauti Wolby, to join me on the podcast today to get, uh, to get a sense of what's happening on the ground in Israel as the war is ongoing. And I have a little cliche that I prepared. There's a cliche, a rabbinic cliche. When, uh, when great rabbis accomplish great things, they often like to give the credit to their spouses. And they like to cite the famous Talmud. The Talmud says that when the great Rabbi Akiva, when he returned from the academy with 24,000 students, so the whole community came out to greet them, and his wife joined as well, and uh, the students, the close students, were a little disappointed. Who is this woman, and what's she doing over here, and why is she getting involved? So he tells her famously that, Sheli Lachem Shelah which means my Torah and your Torah is really attributed to her. She was the one who sent me to yeshiva. She was the one who encouraged me to stay in yeshiva and all my successes and all my triumphs and all my accomplishments and all of your accomplishments, frankly, they're all attributable to her. I feel like if there's anyone that I could say that about, it's about my oldest brother, Rabbi Eliezer. I call him Eli, he's my brother, but he's a rabbi for everyone else. And his wife, Malki, when... I was in Israel when I was young, in my adolescence. This was like my home. And I have a lot to be appreciative uh, to them for what they did to me and how they raised me, so to speak, almost as uh, as parents. And, you know, now we have had, thank God with help of the Almighty, recorded, you know, more than 1,400 podcasts. There's a lot of Torah, millions of downloads, thank God. I would say that my Torah and your Torah, if you're listening to this, can be attributed uh, to them. So... It's a real privilege and honor to have Yal on here uh, to talk about what's happening uh, on the ground in Israel. And um, thank you so much for, for joining us on the podcast. My pleasure. It's our pleasure. Our pleasure. Yes. So what I wanted to talk about is the war. So I'm here in Houston. Actually, right now, my brother, even though he lives in Jerusalem, even though you live in, in Jerusalem, you're actually... In New Jersey, so we have Texas represented New Jersey and Jerusalem here on the Zoom, but there's a war. There's a war. It's a very serious war, and there's a lot of casualties, and it was a very traumatic and tragic beginning to this war. And us over here in the diaspora, we feel, of course, our hearts are there, and we feel connected to the people they're suffering and to the experiences on the ground there. But we're not quite there. And we want to feel more of a sense of identification with the people who are there. And I thought it would be a good idea to have y'all come over uh, to the podcast and share what's happening from the perspective of someone who's living there. And I want to specifically focus on the, the, the spiritual changes that are happening in Israel. You know, we believe that everything that happens in the world and everything that we encounter, everything that we come across, it's really a message from Hashem. Hashem is sending us a message. And He wants something of us. And certainly when there's such a catastrophic event, a cataclysmic event, that the whole Jewish world and, the whole, of course, the, all of our brethren in Israel, everyone's affected by it. There's got to be some message. There's got to be something we could do. There's, there's, there's an opportunity, of course, but there's also something which is expected of us. Hashem wants something of us. So I was thinking maybe y'all could shed some light on A, what's happening, and B, maybe some of your prescriptions of what we can do. What, what does Hashem want of us, and what could we do to help the cause and to you know hear those messages that are being sent from the Almighty? I, I would like to say that I think Eli will tell us what Hashem wants of us, but... Yaakov, I think you remember, uh, way back then when you were in Israel with us, something that you and Eli did in the middle of the night in Harmanuchos. And, um, maybe you want to tell everybody about it because 
something unbelievable happened after some chastora this year, uh, which definitely made me cry. Yeah. Well, um, I, well okay. So that's funny because I have I, I jotted down some notes on, on a on a document here about what you know how to frame this discussion, and one of the themes is Shema Yisrael, which I thought okay. was uh, very fitting or very fitting and appropriate. Uh, uh, call back. So, uh, so what happened was, is that there was, in 2006, there was another war. And another war that began with, uh, with, um, an incursion, effectively. This was not an incursion from Gaza. It was an incursion from the north. Hezbollah. The abduction of soldiers. Yeah, they abducted some soldiers. It turned out those actually killed the soldiers, but I think, I don't think Israel knew about it. That was a, I think it was a 34 day war that known as the Second Lebanon War. And, uh, the Israelis actually infiltrated or entered Invaded uh, Lebanon, southern Lebanon, and it was a very serious war for a little more than a month. And if, if I recall correctly, I think I said this on the podcast. I, I admitted my crime, our crime. Uh, I what happened was is that there was a, I think there was a, a grenade. Someone threw a grenade. There was a lot of uh, close combat fighting, and there was a grenade. And then some heroic soldier jumped on the grenade and screamed the rallying cry. The declaration of our allegiance to Hashem, our, our pledge of allegiance to Hashem, the Shema Yisrael, and streamed it out loud, and then was blown up with the grenade, but thereby saving all of his comrades. So, my oldest brother Eli on the Zoom, you had an idea to to capitalize, so to speak, on this awakening that was present in the land by painting the largest, the largest Shema Yisrael in the his, in the Middle East. <laughs> that was the idea. <laughs> And um, so I was in yeshiva then. You came to gather me up from yeshiva, and we went to uh, Haram Anuchos outside um, outside Jerusalem, and we found like a like a concrete exposed wall, and we painted like a I don't know a ten a fifteen foot uh, Shema Yisrael, just the word Shema Yisrael, here O Israel, uh, where it was positioned right by the main highway uh, leaving Jerusalem, and you know tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people traveled by it and saw it, and that was like a moment of inspiration that was. Uh, your initiative, uh, and uh, is that what you're, I assume that's what you're referring to, Maki. It is, but the, the reason why I bring it up now is more to discuss the contrast about then and now. Because what I remember, besides for the background story that you said, what I remember was that Eli said that every Jew in Israel knows na na nachman me'uman, but not every Jew in Israel knows Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. And of course, that's what every Jew needs to know. So what happened was that a little bit after October 7th, I saw a picture. And then actually, as we drove by there, I saw it live. Um, if you can picture the, the hotels next to the Gesha Meitarim in the center of Israel, there are usually huge advertisements. There are always huge advertisements, but usually they are made of big pictures of politicians and all kinds of other like massive things. billboards at the entrance of the city. Massive, massive, and all of a sudden I saw this, and I, and in covering this entire building, however it usually is, but all it said was loud and clear, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, and I just cried because I said, I, my my feeling was maybe we're getting there, if this is what the I don't know who who put it out there, but it's it wasn't us. And we didn't go in and have to spray paint the walls. So it 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 showed us where we're standing, and I think this is continuing. People are are awake, and people have been shooken up, and people realize that Hashem is in charge. And you, and you you feel that that's true from the people that you meet, from the soldiers on the ground, from the did you have an encounter? that gave you that sense? Well, that was the, my first encounter, but but I definitely, um, we're going to talk about the Shabbos project with the packages, and and you see it. Every mm-hmm. person that we're speaking to is is uh, making this clear. You know, I, I had a conversation with someone during COVID, and he says, like, the whole world's been shaken up. Every Everything that we had believed, all of our security and all of our understanding of how things work, and the whole world came down to its knees, was humbled. Someone told me, God is playing with us. God's trying to get our attention. 
And if we don't listen to him, if we don't awaken to his messages, then something else is going to have to happen. We're not going to be stable until Messiah comes. That's what some someone says. But I think you know th- th- this event. It's such a catastrophic event, and and the proportions are so enormous. And you know we don't know where it's going to go. We don't know if if there's another shooter drop. We we have no idea. And there's something that we need to do. I think that that's that's the message. I've been trying to get that message across on the podcast. Um, but I think Jews everywhere are asking themselves, what can we do? So, so there is an awakening that you're saying where the billboards, and it's a beautiful thing, the billboards of, of the land are, are streaming Shema Yisrael. Besides the billboards, people themselves are definitely awakening. Um, besides the families that have uh, children or, or family members that are abducted in, in Gaza, which they themselves, we actually, Malki and I, met a, met a couple that their daughter is unfortunately abducted in Gaza. She was a, a soldier on a tower, in a watchtower. And ever since October 7th, they said, obviously, what Hashem wants from us is to get closer to Him. And since then, they're starting to keep Shabbos, and they're davening. He's putting on tefillin every day. They, they, they realize there's nothing else. Well, who can we rely on? Who's going to help us? Where's salvation coming from? We have to tur- turn to Hashem. His wife says the whole Tehillim every single day, a woman that never covered her hair, a woman that di- didn't know what Shabbos was. She's keeping every Shabbos since then. And she's saying the whole Tehillim. She and her other child, her only other child. Wait, That's t- what they're doing. T- 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 tell, tell me the story. So uh, this woman who, who you know? We met them. Malachi and I met them, the couple. No. She works in Nevaeh where we live. She works in the a medical clinic where we live, so we know her from beforehand. And, and her daughter, she is was she was a hostage, and she is. she is a hostage, she is a, and she was she was taken hostage on October seventh. On October seventh, yeah, because they have the women. If I if I read correctly, the women uh, they're on the guard the watchtowers. They said the the, the, right. the the men they they they're spacing out too much. <laughs> that's what I that's what I heard. The women could concentrate. So so they're on the front line. They're there effectively as observers, but they were overwhelmed. And many of them were killed, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, of course. But she was taken captive. And she's right. and she's still there as far as we know. Right. Happens to be there's another reason that they use women, because women have a sense of discerning when there's, when there's something, uh, you know, something dangerous, something imminent. A lot of times when you enter... When you go through some security crossing, so the first person you'll meet is a woman who can has a sharper, a keener eye than the man who's holding an M16 behind her. Did you pack your bags yourself? <laughs> okay, okay. Um, interesting. Okay, so tell so so you met her and you knew she had a, a daughter that was was captive. Yeah, yeah. So they asked us to take a, to take them to a specific rabbi. Um, and, and we took them and we, we drove you, them there. You, you knew who, you knew who they were? Like you were familiar with this people, the, this woman, this family? Yeah, she works in our neighborhood. So you knew, you knew who she was, but you weren't necessarily friends with her. Right. But she was always very nice to us and mm-hmm. she didn't even know our name. She, you know, imagine a secretary in the, at the doctor's office. So yeah. Okay. She, so, know and, each other a little bit. and she's, she's what you would call secular. Is that right? Yes. She was secular. <laughs> So it means like she, they're Jewish and they live in a Jewish country, in a Jewish state, in a Jewish city, and they're surrounded by Jews, but they're not necessarily <laughs> observant. They're not keeping the Torah. They're not keeping Shabbos. They're not engaged in what we would call to you know the the actual religious observance. She's not not observant, and she right. got like the, the the worst thing that can happen to a parent. She discovers that her child's been abducted by Hamas. It's, it's like the most terrifying, horrific thing, and she feels drawn. Back to Torah, back to Hashem, back to religion because of this. Right. And and she okay. wanted to go to a rabbi. Right. To get okay. his blessing and to get his encouragement. So you took you took her to the rabbi? We, Malki, Malki and I drove them, took them, and we were with them. And uh, the husband told me, I mean, this is the first time I met the husband, the wife I've seen at the, at the clinic, but the husband I never met before. And he says... There's obviously nothing else we could do. I'm saying God is talking to us and his message to us is like, you know, come, come, like children, come forth. Hmm. And uh, that's what he's doing. 
he's doing I mean, he came over to me to ask after 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 the initial meeting we met again a couple of times and he came to ask me about different parts of the tefillah that that he prays he never prayed before oh, what's the meaning about this what's the meaning of that which is amazing because he's really connecting to Judaism in a way that he never did before mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you understand it as maybe what happened here, at least for this family? And I wonder if, if this is uh, emblematic of what happened to the whole nation, that there was a perception on October 6th that, well, Israel's got a vaunted military and they have this incredible intelligence apparatus and they have this advanced technology wall and uh, – Israel, the, the, the IDF is very strong, very capable, and they have tanks, and they have, you know, they, they have enormous budgets, and therefore there's a sense of security in something which is not Hashem, something which is not the Almighty. And then, you know, a, a ragtag group of, of, of terrorists just sweep, sweep across the border and, and wreak havoc and cause tremendous suffering and pain and devastation, destruction and murder and awful, awful. And that you think maybe shatters a little bit of the, of the myth that we can rely on anything and anyone besides for Hashem. That's what this couple experienced. You said it very well. You said it very well. That, that's exactly what what I think has ha, was happening here and is happening, is un- unfolding continuously in Israel. The people are realizing more and more that our salvation, our Yeshua, is only when we have full faith in the Almighty and Hashem. There's no other Yeshua coming from any other place. And actually, the Ramchal says this in his writings in a number of places, that the the purpose of the world is to bring us to the ultimate Yeshua, to the ultimate revelation that the entire world will realize that Hashem is Melech, Hashem is King of the world. And, we, and when Mashiach comes, it's not just Messiah will come. Messiah will mean that all the people in the world will realize. That's, that's what we pray. We pray this on Rosh Hashanah. We pray this every single day after Davening. That the entire world will realize that to you everybody will bow. All we want is to bring, to restore Hashem's kingdom in the world. And I, I believe, and, and, and I think all observing people believe, and we really wish that every Jew will believe and come closer and realize that all Hashem is asking from us is to come close to him and to realize he is the ultimate salvation. The Yeshua, the, 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 the redemption, the, the, the freedom, the security, all that comes from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, from Hashem himself. Yeah, I, I'm thinking that um, it reminds me of the, the teaching in the Talmud where the Talmud talks about the conditions that will be present right before Messiah. And it, it gives a whole litany, a whole long list of terrible things that are going to happen. And it ends off, We have no one to rely upon, to lean upon, besides for the Almighty. And that's Absolutely. that's the clincher. That's the clincher. And that we're seeing. That we're seeing. We even see soldiers who are just, uh, just so so um, expressive. And those that survive, and they, they finally left Gaza after battles of a month or two months, and they're just saying, Mizmo letoda. They just want to thank Hashem for the survival, for watching over them, for redeeming them, for helping them, for saving them, for enabling them to kill terrorists. And Baruch Hashem, they could return to their families healthy. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there are many, many casualties, but there's so many miracles, and they see it. Mm-hmm. Like the friend that you interviewed also last week, he also shared that. There's miracles every single moment. There's thousands and thousands of soldiers in harm's way, and they believe that Hashem is protecting them. Hashem really does. And it happens to be, I would add one more thing, that these Muslims, they know this too. They know that when God is on our side, they have no chance. They know history. They know quite well. They know that there was King David. They knew this King Solomon. They knew that the Jewish people reigned over the whole Middle East. They know that when we're doing God's will, they have no chance. They think that right now, you know, God's upset at us and they'll be able to win. But as soon as we all strengthen ourselves and say, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, like the billboards say, we all scream that out loud and say, Hashem, we know that that salvation, the redemption is coming from you. They have no chance. And they know it too. So if the IDF would want to strengthen themselves, they would get up and say, guys, God's on our side. 
If we just strengthen ourselves, they have no chance. We know it, and they know it. I believe in that, 100%. Well, and would would you say that, you know, now we're after October 7th, but a believer has to wrestle with the questions of why did something so catastrophic happen? Why did Hashem allow that to happen? Where was Hashem when we needed Him? That's a question that if someone's a non-believer, they don't have to deal with that question. But we who are fortunate enough to be believers, we have to wrestle with that question. And of course, there's the, you know, there's what do we do about it now? But there's also what does this mean about where we're, where we were holding? What were the, what were the conditions or what about the conditions allowed for such a, a, a tragedy to happen? Would you say that maybe there was an over-reliance on factors besides for Hashem? And thus, perhaps, maybe I'm, I want, maybe we could expand this idea, perhaps this notion of us taking our reliance on everything else and saying, that's not really what we can rely upon. We only rely on Hashem and commit ourselves to Him. This is not only a way for us to act post-October 7th, but it's also preventative. Because and I'm asking if this is what you're, what, what you're trying to convey. Because if we don't listen, we're just going to get into something else. Hashem wants our attention. And He's nudging us and He's pushing us and He's, and He's poking us and He's prodding us. And we don't listen. He slaps us. And we don't listen. He'll slap us again. Thank God we're fine and I'm good. So I don't need to take the lesson. No, no, no. All of us, we're going to take a lesson because this is what Hashem's trying to tell us. And if we don't take the lesson, He's going to try to tell us maybe in a way that's a little bit more harsh. Absolutely. I agree 100% with what you're saying. Um, the, the, the Torah writes that in Parshas Bechukosai, that if we tend to say that, you know, this is by chance, this is Haya Keri, Keri is by chance. This happened to happen. And this wasn't, you know, a, 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 a direct message from God, from Hashem. Then it's Keri. That, that's terrible. Then as you, exactly as you described, things could be even worse. And we have to realize there's no such a thing as by chance. There's no such a thing as it happened by Keri. That we, we have to realize that everything in our lives and our security and our safety and our health and our wealth, everything that we have is due to Hashem's kindness to us. So, so what are some things that we can do to further reinforce the idea of our reliance on Hashem? You know, uh, us not just to benefit your friend, and her daughter, who's a hostage. Which, by the way, do we know her Hebrew name? Her, her Hebrew name is Karina. Karina Bat Ira. That's the, that's how they pronounce the mother's Karina. name is Ira. Her full name is Irana. I, I, Karina Bat Irena. Irena. Mm-hmm. Like Irene, but I guess it's like a, Irene. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's a Karina Bat Irana. So we're all gonna pray for her. That she's well and she's safe and she's returned back to her family, please God, soon. I mean, yes, in, in, in good health, in both mind and spirit and body. I mean, uh, Karina, but, uh, but. Karina, 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 Karina. Karina. Uh, but, but we said, we said, but, but, but Irina, but, Irina, Irina okay. Um, so what can we do to take the message? If someone says, okay, Hashem, I know you're speaking to me. I know you want something out of me, and I know that this is not happenstance. I'm not going to say it's with, with, with Carrie. There's some sort of message for me, and perhaps the lesson for us is to focus specifically on reliance on Hashem. What are some of the things that we can do? So we, talk, we talked about prayer. Prayer is in a, a tacit acknowledgement that Hashem gives us everything. When we pray, we're asking for health. We're healthy, go to the doctor, Right? Healthy, go to the, the, the clinic. You go to the physician. You go, you, you know, go speak to your trainer. Why are we talking to God? When we are praying for health, we're acknowledging that ultimately our health is governed by Hashem. Oh, prosperity. We want prosperity. Prosperity, go speak to your financial, financial advisor. You know, go, go get a job on LinkedIn. Indeed. Monster. I don't know. Where do people find jobs? That's what you would think, you know, go, go burnish your credentials, go get a PhD, right? That's, no, you're going to Hashem. So could we say that maybe prayer is an area that we could make an emphasis, try to, try to pray with more regularity, with more devotion, with more concentration, and specifically focusing on the idea that 
I'm acknowledging that Hashem is in charge in every facet of the world and of my life in particular. Absolutely. Prayer is the main part of our day that we, we, we like, we start our day with prayer. It says, it says in Allah that a one can't eat prior to, to, to praying. Thank you. Don't, don't eat before you pray for your blood, for your living. So the first thing we do before we start our day is pray. We base our day on prayer, on the connection and relationship that we have with Hashem. And we pray, especially on chakras, we pray for every part of our day and our lives. That, that all our functions are working, that our, our eyesight, Baruch Hashem, that our... Uh, if prayer is, we're starting off with nothing. We're assuming we have nothing. Every time our heart beats, it's a gift from Hashem. Every time we see, it's a gift from Hashem. Every time we're able to walk, it's a gift from Hashem. And then we're asking for every every element of our lives. So, but help me with this. What what if someone has a hard time praying? Uh, let's say I know someone like that. <laughs> they have a hard time praying. What's one thing we can do? And, and Malcolm, maybe you could chime in on this here as well, uh, because uh, you you've given some good. Remember? I remember. Yeah. <laughs> Forget about the prayer book. <laughs> Yes. Uh, maybe you give some, some tips for someone who wants to deepen their connection to prayer, deepen their daily connection to Hashem via talking to Him directly uh, as a means of trying to fulfill what the message Hashem is trying to send us. So maybe <laughs> would you give us uh, you know some tips? I think that for those who have it hard to concentrate and to pray a lengthy prayer, there's so many opportunities during the day to speak to Hashem. An example that we once gave was when the elevator comes right away. So you say, thank you, Hashem, for sending the elevator right away. Uh, we live on the seventh floor. So that makes a big difference in our lives. Or I remember Ellie saying, thank you, Hashem, for giving me this parking spot, you know, close to the house. Or um, I, I said, no, if the kid in the morning, I ask Hashem, please give them a great day. And that's without a sitter and uh, it doesn't take more than a second. So you're saying you don't need to don a talus you don't need to be in a shul, in a synagogue, and you don't need to speak in Hebrew, and there's no formalized, ritualized prayer. You're saying that you could pray throughout the day in English to, to ask Hashem for what you need, to acknowledge what Hashem has given you, to thank Him for that. Yeah, and there's uh, actually been an um, interesting um, growth, I think, in Eretz Yisrael. This, has, this might have to do with the pigua. How do you say pigua? Um, that happened in Ramot. I don't know if you remember those two little boys were killed. Yeah, it, it, by a bus stop? That's a bus stop, a year ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two, bro- two brothers, right? Right. Yeah. Now, uh, their mother did unbelievable work after they were killed. She spoke publicly. And um, she was interviewed and she spoke in many places. And one of the things that she told that she told everybody was something that they do in their house. This Mrs. Halle, who mm-hmm. lost her two sons. She was speaking about her sons, but this is something that they that the whole family does. They have a line in Hebrew. We could try to translate it to English, but the line in Hebrew that they would say is Lo Omrim Uf Omrim Terekuf. Meaning so, uh so Uf is like oh shucks, like when something bad happens. Right. Right. So you don't say oof, oh shot, something bad happens. Instead, you say parakuf, which which right, means which the is fifth. Oh, which which is the hundredth. Kuf is is the letter kuf, which is uh, equals number a hundred, and you say Psalm number a hundred in uh, in Psalms and Tehillim instead, which is about thanking Hashem. Right. Now this this idea spread everywhere, and uh, I know in my house and in many homes. People are saying more and more, Ms. Melisoda, just in the middle of your day, something good happens, you say the parak. Thank you, Hashem. Psalm number 100. Thank you, Hashem, for every little thing that happens. He's three and a half. Um, But uh, you can say it like that, or you can really say that uh, it's not a long parak of Tehillim, and it expresses our thanks to Hashem for everything good that happens. Interestingly, we have a neighbor in our building who was... In a different pigua, 
in Neve Yaakov. Do you remember there was on, Shab- on Shabbos night? Yes, 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 yes. Uh, uh, maybe, what, a year ago, something like that? Right, exactly. Yeah, so, Friday uh, they came to shul, they were spraying, they were, right. yeah, they awful. They were stabbing and uh, shooting. Uh, it was one person, actually, one terrorist. We have a neighbor on the second floor in our building. Her name is Rosa Atzilov, a wonderful woman. And she was taking a Friday night walk with her daughter, and she was shot at. And she doesn't know everything uh, about Judaism, but one thing she knew was Parakuf. Because of and that initiative? Just, because of that initiative? I don't know why. I'm not sure why. She said it over and over and over and over again. She said she must have said it a hundred times. When she's on, when she was shot and she was hit. Exactly. And now, so she she's on the floor. She's on the floor bleeding. On the floor bleeding and saying Parakuf, Ms. Marlasoda, while her daughter is running around and trying to get help, and wasn't managing to get help. And finally, eventually, she she she's actually still recovering, but she got her life Baruch Hashem back, and uh, she goes to therapy so she can try she can walk. But uh, it's amazing. Uh, we we were so inspired by her and by this other woman, and um, and I think many 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 people in Israel are are thanking Hashem and realizing where where all the good comes from. This woman, Miss um, uh, Rosa from Florida, in your building. So this is in the same apartment building. Yes. She she was 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 she was she religious? You said she didn't know much about about religion. So she kept Shabbat. She was not holding her phone. Um, she was actually wearing a Shabbos dress. She's a, a very spunky woman, and uh, although she wears pants during the week and her she doesn't cover her hair, but she's a wonderful woman who tries to only do good things. And uh, when she was in the ambulance, finally, when the emergency personnel came and they took her to the hospital on the way they they wanted to see what well, what exactly happened to her and they said i'm sorry we're just gonna ha- we're gonna have to cut your dress and she said you will not cut my shabbos dress <laughs> so uh she has a lot of spirit she always did and uh and she taught us this that about the parakuf how she she feels like it saved her life wow it's an amazing thing. In in Israel, even the people that are more distant from religion, each one on their own level, they're still so much more connected than than people in the diaspora. They're they're living it. They're 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 immersed in 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 Jewish life in a way that American Jews are just are just not. And they right. and and they and it's part of the society. It's part of the culture, and it's a it's a beautiful thing. And I I, I feel, you know, thank God. You know, I'm involved in a lot of religious and Torah and Jewish pursuits, but I do feel like we're living amongst the nations. And thank God, America has been a very hospitable place for Jews, and we're very fortunate. But there's nothing like living in the land. And what I'm what I'm hearing you speak speak about these things it makes me feel like I, we should all really be there. This is where Jews can really live as Jews. Of course, we could live as Jews elsewhere, but the the, the country is almost like nudging Jews to live in a more Jewish way, in a more Jewish fashion. The zeitgeist is is is, is Jewish. Yeah, I, I think that's true, and uh, especially now. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about this Shabbos initiative. So there's a really nice woman who we became friends with without ever meeting. Her name is Oshrit. Okay. Oshrit Elisha. She lives up in the north in some yeshuv next to Haifa. And uh, she has a friend who, after October 7th, started keeping Shabbos. Mm-hmm. And so she again, someone who was not, not observing Shabbos prior right. to this, but was inspired by what happened and said, I'm going to do something, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to try to grow in my observance. Exactly. Oshrit obviously has a good heart, and she said, I want to help you. You know what? I'm going to buy for you Shabbos paraphernalia. Okay. The, the two big items that she bought were a hot plate and a hot water urn, two things that help you that you should not need to cook on Shabbos. Okay. So it, describe uh, to me what a hot plate is. Okay. It's a rectangular piece of metal. I'm not sure, actually. Is it metal? Basically, it's, it's like it's, an appliance it's, of sorts? Yeah, it's an appliance that you plug in, 
and it's, it has like a space of, let's say, for like a small stove. Mm-hmm. And it heats up very strongly. And any food that was cooked before Shabbat could be placed on that hot plate and it will stay hot to, until you unplug the plug. So, so this is a way, if I understand correctly, it's a way to circumvent the prohibition against igniting something electric on Shabbos. You want to have hot food, but it's, you know, Shabbos morning. So you're not going to turn on your stove or turn on your oven, but you have a hot plate, which is like a plate that you put the food on it and it's able to heat the food that's already cooked, but it's not warmed up. It's, it's a way to warm, warm up the food. Is that right? Exactly. And it's, it's sort of expensive, you're saying. Well, it's not that expensive, but yeah, it's a it's a, it's a line item. It's it, it it okay. So that's one thing. And then, not as cheap as uh, you know two small candlesticks yes. that are made out of um, plastic. Let's say you know. So. Okay, so so that and then a hot water urn. That's to keep water hot. The same kind of same kind of thing. You want your coffee. If you make your coffee. Yeah. You don't have to cook up water. Okay, for your so coffee. so so Mrs. Oshreet bought. She has a friend who wants to keep Shabbos. Says, oh, "Let me help you. I'm going to buy you." You know these uh, these items these these items that you need to or that, that helps enables you to have a more pleasurable uh, Shabbat compliant experience. Exactly. Okay. Now that friend told another friend, and um, another friend she, who was also interested in keeping Shabbos. Exactly, and she said she, you know she would also appreciate these pro- these items. And um, at that time, Oshreet was happy to give her to also. And and then Oshreet said, you know what? Let me put out a post somewhere online offering anybody who, who would like to start keeping Shabbos now. Um, I want to give you a package. I want to help you. And she expected a few more responses. She has her friend. She has her friend's friend. And I was assuming that a few more people will request as of today there are over 2000 requests wow 2000 families reached out to mrs oshreet to get like a shabbos package which includes the the hot hot plate and the hot uh hot water urn right and some more things for example like candlesticks and a kiddush cup and a cover for the challah a washing cup and some other things that it, it uh, varies because she basically what happens is that when when someone requests it, she sends them a form to fill out, which discusses their name, number, address, their history, what what you know had they ever kept Shabbos before? Do are they only starting now? What are they interested in, and what they want from her list of things that she's offering? And and I, I have a list here in my house, and and it's unbelievable. Where are the people from? Are they from everywhere? Across, across the land of wow. Israel, from the south to the north, and in between. Wow. And, and there's um, two thousand <laughs> families that are interested in keeping Shabbos. This is unbelievable. It really, it really is. And this is this it's is one initiative out of many. There's all sorts of initiatives that are happening all, all across the country. Right. Wow. I forgot to mention one important thing that is given with everything, and that is a book, a, a small book, which is Keeping Shabbos for Beginners. And um, it's, it's amazing. Just amazing. Well, that's absolutely incredible. You know, I was thinking, you know, that uh, we spoke a little bit earlier about Mashiach, Messiah, and uh, the Gemara says that if all of Israel, if the whole nation keeps Shabbos two weeks in a row, Messiah will come. So it seems like, of course, this is a terribly tragic event and, and the war, it's a catastrophe, it's a disaster, it's a tragedy, and there's so much pain and suffering and death. But you're telling me that there's at least 2,000 families that we know that are interested, that are motivated, that are inspired to start keeping Shabbos. It's, it's, it's absolutely epic, the transformation that, uh, that, you're, that you're telling us about. And I, I have to say that because I spoke to a bunch of them personally, why did I speak to them? Because we personally delivered... Wait, so how did you get involved? Walk me through how okay, you got involved. Okay, I'll tell you how I got involved. we got involved. Um... You know, Ellie's always promoting people to help other people to know Torah. So 
Ellie has a chavrusa in the morning, study partner, and he he said to him once, you know, we have to do more, we have to reach out more. And uh, that chavrusa went home and told this to his wife, who said, you know what, I, I can do more. And she became a study partner with a woman who was interested in learning more about Torah. This is after Simchas Torah, after the October 7th massacre. Um, there's an organization called Ayelet Tashacha, and I would compare it a little bit to Partners in Torah, and they set up chavrusas. So she's learning with this woman, and this woman told her that she got a Shabbos package from Oshrit. So, so Eli, he told his chavrusa, who told his wife, who signed up to, 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 with Ayala Tashachar to study with this uh, woman who received a package. Exactly. And that comes back to you and you're like, whoa, someone's doing this initiative. Let's try to see how we can help. Exactly. We, we couldn't, we couldn't, we were so excited. We said we need to help her. So we called her. I called her and I said we want to help. And she was so overwhelmed with thanks because she was way over her head. She she didn't. This she was like a little mom and pop uh, operation. She had, gave one to her friend and a friend, and then before you know it, she's got two thousand uh, orders here to fill. Yeah. So at that point, it wasn't two thousand, but it but it was hundreds, and she wasn't. You know, she was. She 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 needs help. So that's how we got involved, and um, and we, we're not helping her on a full day daily basis because we're doing other things. But what happened was that on Hanukkah. Ellie had a little vacation from Yeshiva. The boys went home for the weekend. Just to clarify, I didn't mention this. My brother, I call him Ellie. He's Rabbi Eliezer. He has his own Yeshiva. So he runs a Yeshiva. So this is like, we're dealing with the, you know, with serious people here. So he, the Yeshiva has a little bit of a break on Hanukkah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. So, so we had two and a half days that Ellie was not on his Yeshiva schedule. And we said, let's do within these two and a half days whatever we can for the Shabbos project. So um, we heard that there were 24 sets of hot plates and hot water urns in a machsan, um, a storage, unit. storage storage room in the Sanhedria section of Jerusalem. And um, there was no one available to deal with them. So we, so I called Oshri. So she had already, she had sourced it and she had bought it and it was shipped to some machsan, to some uh, storage facility not far from you. She, she lives near Haifa. That's far away, but you're in Jerusalem. Oh, the different neighborhoods in Jerusalem. She, she's not familiar that much, but she just wants to help. So she's doing everything she can. So, so I called her up. I said, look, we have a little time. Send me the Jerusalem list and uh, we'll get them out. And, I, and this was on a Wednesday. Now, every Wednesday, in two more days of Shabbos, now, we have we have things to give to people, and that will help them keep Shabbos. I want to get them out before Shabbos. Means you, so, you, you want to get them out before this Shabbos. Exactly. So we got the list, and Eli went to the Mahsan, and he picked up the stuff, and he divided with another amazing uh, Volunteer. person. Yeah, and... and his name is Rabbi Burstein, and he and together we split up the the packages and the list. And before that Shabbos, twenty four sets were given out. In so you drove, So Ellie drove with together with Rabbi Burstein, place to place. Ellie yeah, drove his car yeah. And we divided the list, meaning there were many many people on the list who live in Piscat Zev, which is not far from us. So we focused over there, and we gave him other areas like Kiryat Yovel, Har Choma, Katamon. Oh, and our son-in-law Zebi did some deliveries, and um, and what I was telling you is that that's how I know personally how people feel because we didn't deliver anything until we spoke to the people. Mm-hmm. So you call up a person and you say, "Did you ask for the Shabbos package?" And they said yes, and you get to speak to them a little bit. Can I come over and drop it off uh, sometime today? Like, right. But not only that, like, uh, you know, they give a little bit of their feeling with it. Like one person says, you know, I just have to do this. My 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 kids are in the at the front. I, I, I have to do something. So it's amazing to see that. that what are they thinking to do to start keeping Shabbos? Hmm. Which um, is which is an amazing thing that it's almost like they know that it's appropriate to keep Shabbos and that's the right thing to do, but sometimes maybe they need just a little bit of a catalyst, something to nudge them, something to push them, some impetus to kind of 
to, to propel them towards that. Because, you know, their children are on the front, front line. You got to do something uh, in their merit. Exactly. One woman was crying to me on the phone. She told me that her mother sat Shiva for her brother, her mother's brother. So the family is terribly broken about what happened during the war. He, he, he was killed in the war. He was killed in the massacre. I don't think so. I think he must have been at the. He must be in Aza. Must have been in Aza more recently because I I spoke to him more recently. So my feeling is that it was not on October seventh. But uh, she said to me that her that they stopped driving on Shabbos already a few weeks ago, and that last Shabbos her ten year old daughter to, said to her, "Zel ani shomeret Shabbat." Amazing. So uh, so they said, "Okay, let, let's get the hot plate. Let's get the urn. Let's 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 do it." Wow. Exactly. Uh, I'll tell you. I'll tell you a story that actually happened over here in our in in Houston, unrelated to the events of October seventh. There is a girl in my daughter Miriam's class, who the family was involved in the Jewish community, involved in the Orthodox Jewish community, so the observant Jewish community, but they themselves were not Shabbos observant. And this girl, she was, I think, 10 or 11 years old. She says, I am not getting into a car on Shabbos. And they would go to, to dinners for Shabbos. And she, she would walk. She's like, I'm walking. And like, how could you walk in Houston at night? You know, in Houston during the day is already <laughs> uh, a little bit uh, dicey. So she just insisted. And she just brought wow. the entire family. And they're all keeping Shabbos now. All wow. of them. It's a girl man's class. What a strength of character. So well, that, that that's an amazing actually, story. Uh, in relation to that story, um, Ellie and our two little boys, Shlomo and Yitzi, went to deliver a package. Mm-hmm. And they came, they knocked on the door, and the woman of the house said, I don't know what you're talking about. So Ellie was about to get back into the car, and then Shlomo showed Ellie that, no, there's a... Seemed to be like a teenage boy or maybe a 20 year old boy coming towards the door. And he said, No, this is for me. Meaning the rest of the family was not ready yet, but he wanted it and he had requested it. Wow. And, and I think that's unbelievable strength. Like you said about that girl, there are people who are doing this without their family support and even maybe some, with some families' um, resistance. Opposition. Yeah, opposition. There was one address that Ellie went to. And uh, he was actually a little disappointed because it was a very fancy villa that he was pulling up to their doorway, the gate around the door. And uh, he was thinking, well, I mean, these people could go buy a hot plate and a hot water urn. Like, you know, they don't really need our help. And um, but of course, he wasn't going to he he said he's bringing it. So he brought it. And when he started speaking to the woman who came to this gate and he said to her, did you start keeping Shabbos or have you ever kept Shabbos before? And she said, shh, don't speak next to the intercom. My husband can't hear us. Wow. So Ellie uh, changed his mind, of course, because he said such a woman needs all our support. So if that, if that comes in a package, so that's great. Wow. And, and is this project still ongoing? Are, are people, Absolutely. Are, and are you still doing uh, orders whenever uh, deliveries, when, when you have yeah. time? So we, we are helping. We're not uh, we're not doing everything ourselves at all. We we can't, but uh, we're trying to help in any way that we can. We actually got our son Dovi involved this week, and he was in touch with some more um, energy, some young guys who can do more deliveries, who can uh, help with the ordering, and, um, and we we hope we hope we'll get to everybody. And um, wow, is there is there is there any plan to do like follow-up to, to help them absolutely absolutely R- remember the chavrusa of the chavrusa's friend uh, <laughs> no ellie's chavrusa's wife's chavrusa with ayala tashachar exactly so and and you also remember the list the excel sheet that had all the information yes ayala tashachar gets the same excel sheet meaning they are updated and they are setting up chavrusa's all the time, and anybody who requested, and this is an extremely important part of it. Yeah, because a, a, a lot of a lot of people who never kept Shabbos, they don't know what it entails. It's you know they oh, feel that. like an outsider, they, they they feel like an imposter, perhaps, and they they need to have some handholding, some guidance, some direction. Absolutely, and in, in their whole lives. So uh, the, the one thing is the book, which 
last week I got such so much more energy, you know, because so, sometimes you work hard on something and then you're, you lose that energy. But then I spoke to a woman who said to me, I learned two halachos every day from the book. So, of course, I got more energy from that. And uh, and definitely the chabrusa thing is extremely important. Well, well, I, this, this is absolutely amazing. So let me ask you a question. I know that um, I got a link to uh, contribute towards this. This is like incredible where someone can make a donation and help contribute towards someone else, uh, uh, one of our brethren in Israel, to help aid them in, in keeping Shabbos. So I know you sent a link out to the family, right. and I I was very privileged to be able to contribute. Is is it still possible for people to contribute if they want to help uh, families in Israel uh, make it easier for them to keep Shabbos? Absolutely. And I, I have to say that, you know, we have a yeshiva and we need to fundraise for the yeshiva all the time. And I would never send out a link about the yeshiva because that's personal, even though it's for Hashem, but it, we have something personal in it. Uh, I, I don't have those scruples. So, but yeah, go on. Go on. <laughs> okay. I... Not, it's not a moral thing. It's just a feeling thing. Yeah. But about this, I just, I did something I would never do in my life. I would never send out a fundraiser like that. And I did it because I can't imagine who wouldn't want to help someone keep Shabbos. It's like, it's like, it's such an honor and a privilege and it's not so hard and it's not so much money either. Yeah. So I, I, I would love if you would spread the word for that. Of course. That. And they got you to come on the podcast. Exactly. Because for Shabbos, what won't we do, right? That's right. And I wonder why can we do this also in America? Like if we have brothers and sisters here in the United States who who want, who are inspired to deepen their commitment, their observance of Shabbos, they could they should also get a hot plate and a and a hot water urn and and, and a guidebook and some instructions and some hand holding and some study partners. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So, well, let's. What I'm going to do is I'm going to include in the podcast. I'm going to include the link that you'll send me if, if someone wants to contribute to to, to this uh, wonderful initiative by Oshrit Elisha from uh, from Haifa. And I'm a, if someone wants, if if there is enough of a groundswell, we'll we'll do something here. What, what, what kind of questions? Of course, we'll do something over here. Amazing. This was incredible. I really got a sense that I had like a front row seat. Some of the themes, some of the sentiments, some of the feelings that are present in the Holy Land. The Jewish soul is a fire, and the fire is, 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 sometimes it, you know, it's just an ember, and sometimes it's a roaring bonfire, but it, there's a sense that there's an awakening, there's a fanning of the flames. And this initiative, and what you're telling me, what the, the, these incredible stories that you're sharing, it's just an incredible testament to the soul and the spirit of the Jewish people. Am Yisrael as we say, that the, our nation and every individual, we're alive, and sometimes maybe we're dormant, and sometimes we're absentee, and sometimes we have a lapse. Okay, now it's a time for us to awaken. Malki, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and for sharing these incredible uh, stories with us. I, I will say that uh, Eli, Rabbi Eliezer, for all of y'all, uh, he left a little bit earlier to go Davin uh, Mincha, but Malki, thank you so much for what you shared. It was really powerful and meaningful for us and for me in the podcast. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you, Yaakov. Okay. Bye-bye, Ah, uh, no, so you could still call Everyone can still call me Yaakov. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> uh, uh, of course, the email address is rabbiwalbeatjima.com. I hope you enjoyed this uh, podcast. I look forward to your questions, your comments, and your feedback.